Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, and welcome to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast. You can hear us on the Compliance Podcast Network or wherever you hear your podcast. I'm Lisa Fine, and today I'm co-hosting with Ellen Hunt. This roundtable is sponsored by Corporate Compliance Insights. Our topic today is near and dear to our hearts at the Great Women in Compliance podcast, as we think it's vital to meet the board's expectations, but is often unknown and misunderstood how to do. To meet these expectations and do it well, you have to know what the board expects of you. Luckily, today we have two experts with us who are current board members, and I'll ask our first guest, Haiti, to introduce herself. Hi, thank you, Ellen, and thank you, Lisa. I'm very happy to be here today. I was the former Global Chief Compliance Officer at McDonald's Corporation, and I am currently a Senior Advisor with Barker Gilmore. I'm a member of two public boards listed on the NASDAQ, the One Group Hospitality and Transact Technologies. I also serve on the Board of Trustees at DePaul University, and I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Avril? Good morning, Ellen, Lisa, and Haiti. Thanks so much for inviting me. I am an ethics attorney with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, where I provide leadership and guidance on ethics issues. I am serving on the board of a privately held information technology company, Next Up Solutions, and I am the uh, immediate past chair of the Arlington County, Virginia Economic Development Commission and the past chair of the Arlington Community Foundation Board of Trustees. I also served formerly as a North Carolina district court judge with both civil and criminal jurisdiction. Thank you both so much for being here. We are really excited about this. It's been a big topic for me and some discussions lately on this podcast. And personally, it's a really timely discussion for me because I just finished doing some prep with our audit committee and next week or our audit committee and next week I'm going to London to do some presentations. Avril, can you tell us what you expect and want from ethics and compliance officers and or chief ethics and compliance officers? Yes. Thank you for this opportunity. Before I respond, I want our listeners to know that my remarks are made in my personal capacity and are not representative of either HUD or the United States government. As a board member, I want the chief ethics and compliance officer to provide written reports in the board packet for my review prior to the meeting. I want to know what's going on. What is the landscape? Make the report timely and proactive if at all possible. Integrate your work with the company's strategy. Avoid surprising me as a board member. The tone is crucial. Your presentations should prompt questions, not be presented as if all problems are solved. You're wanting to foster a culture of continuous assessment and improvement as the company's compliance needs are dynamic. You are working with people and human-created systems, so compliance programs can't be effective otherwise. Show your impact on compliance risk, ethical culture, and business conduct. Provide information on more than just a narrowly focused view of ethics and compliance. Tell us, how does the work you do affect the strategy, profitability, and reputation of the corporation? Consider and prioritize. How do ethics and compliance affect the entire business strategy? 
Let directors know the risks as well as the opportunities you are seeing and how risks and opportunities affect the overarching as well as specific strategic goals. Talk about compliance and ethics effect on human capital, recruitment, retention, morale, and workplace reputation. Lastly, I would just say identify the company's greatest risk for directors. Are they among employees at your locations? Are they rank and file employees? Are they management in offices or in warehouses? Supply chain, tell your story to the board. That is really helpful. And Heidi, does this align with your expectations and your thoughts? Oh my God, yes, Avril. Everything you have said is certainly on point. It's everything that I expect of our chief compliance officers. One of the things that I tell a lot of compliance officers who I generally coach in my coaching at Barker Gilmore is that concise reporting is very important as well. We have very little limited time when we're meeting with a, a compliance officer. So I would like to know the high hard ones. What you said about risk is the most important thing I find. Obviously, our job is to understand the risks facing the company and to assist management. Compliance can help us ensure that the management is aware of the things that may affect the impact, of, may affect the business in the future or impact profits as it, in the future as well. I'm pulling on that thread about the high hard ones. There's a joke in ethics and compliance that we're always on the agenda about 10 minutes before cocktails. <laughs> and that being said, but when you look at the recent and numerous scandals, right, the question is often raised, where is the board? And so, Haiti, when you think about balancing the need to have that robust reporting system, as you call it, the high hard ones on the red flag risks and the chronically tight board agenda, what advice would you give on how to get on the agenda at enough time that you need? Obviously, as Avril mentioned, you do want to provide a pre-read, uh, but I certainly want the compliance officer to give a concise position on what the critical issues are. I do not need the compliance officer to read the report to me, uh, but I do want them to help us understand what their challenges are, what is happening in the organization, what they are doing to help mitigate or reduce some of the risks that the company is facing, and what thoughts they have on what could impact the company in the future. We don't all have a crystal ball, but there are things that a compliance officer can point to as a trend, perhaps in the industry, perhaps in the economic financial world, somewhere or, or in other countries that may somehow come to the fold within our organization. I'm hoping that our compliance officer has the pulse of all those things. It's a big job, as we all know, but that's the most critical part I, would, I feel a compliance officer can do to help the board do their job. Yeah. And I think sometimes we get so involved in looking at our activities, we don't look through the, 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 the front windshield. We're looking always at the rear view mirror. And it's so important to think about emerging risks. There's so many. AI, supply chain, mm -hmm. our world is constantly changing. So Avril, what advice would you give to get time on the agenda so that you got the attention of the board? I'll go back again to the well-written reports for the board packet. They shouldn't be for reassurance. They are flagging challenges and highlighting risks and should prompt board requests for additional information. 
I would say repeatedly raising the issue of needed additional resources in order to adequately staff the function of ethics and compliance is a grave responsibility. Do you have enough employees to audit, document, analyze, and utilize the results of the company's compliance efforts? If not, you must keep saying so. The report specifics can be targeted to different board committees. For example, you can note issues of particular interest to the non-gov committee, to the audit committee, and risk committees. You might have a better chance to present to one or more committees with regularity, and then you can perhaps develop committee interest in pushing your issues on the general board agenda. Lastly, I would just say, prioritize your reporting. What is a heightened risk now and why? And what has changed to make it? You need your directors to see the ongoing tale, the ongoing story. Yeah. And Avril, just drilling down a little on that, one of the things I see a lot of compliance officers do is report on activities. The number of completion for uh, training, the um, number of misconduct concerns, um, that's their dashboard. Um, but I think you're really talking about, both you and Haiti are really talking about going beyond that. Um, and there's a lot about, you know, metrics. What metrics should there be? So if you could, in a perfect world, have whatever report you wanted, what would those metrics be? Well, in a perfect world, the report would discuss risk to the entire enterprise, as well as identify specific departments where risk is greater. And I want statistics and data to support the conclusions you make about what department needs more work or what departments look better situated. Tell me why. Also, discuss the differences in my in your approach. Like when you are noting these differences, what are you doing differently to target the areas of greater or lesser risk? And you can rank them high, medium, low, for example, if that helps. I also want to know, how much do your suggestions cost? What is the Cadillac version? If, if, I, if, if the board did everything you asked for, and when you give me that version, where could we cut back if necessary? What are the challenges to strategy and profitability if we spend the lesser amount? And what are the benefits to strategy and profitability if we do everything you ask? Focus your reporting on areas of greatest risk and detail your intention to address them immediately as well as over time. What special training offered to a particular department? Has additional monitoring been put in place? What's the time frame and what are the results you're seeking? What are the results so far? Offer to provide updates at the next board meeting. What you're doing is creating a dialogue. And so like I'm now really interested and I want to hear what happens next time. What's the current shifting regulatory environment? How are we adjusting to address the new activities that are required of us? Tell us where the hotline calls are directed. Not just how many hotline calls were received in a given period. What generally came over the hotline? Are there internal or external threats that are identified? Over the last three months, tell me what's going on. What were the responses by the company? But I'd like to know, who gets the report? Is it going to the, the general counsel? Is it going to the CEO? Because then I kind of wonder, how come I haven't heard? Like I need to know where the information's going. How much engagement is there with the code of conduct? 
Talk to me about types of engagement and how much is happening and where you see it falling down. And what do we need to do? Because if there's a particular area where people aren't engaging, what do we need to do to get them involved? And what are the risks of not getting them involved? Show your impact on compliance risk, ethical culture, and business conduct. Provide charts and statistics comparing this report to prior reports. What is different from the last time you reported or from a year ago or from the last time you identified a problem? This is how you demonstrate that your program is working to mitigate risk or that your program could be improved. Think about specific asks. Do you need more resources, more buy-in from leadership, more time before employees for training, et cetera? Tell me what you need. Be specific and give your reasoning for each request. Are you seeing employee behavior that prompts another response from your ethics and compliance team? In what direction are you now going and why? Those are all excellent, Avril. And in fact, just to add to that, because that's the absolutely perfect comprehensive list. One thing I would recommend compliance officers do as well is get to know your HR head. Get to know the people in HR. They can help you understand what the rewards, what reward systems are in place in the organization that may that may affect some future issue or compliance concern. For example, you may want to make sure you understand what the reward system is for sales, marketing, R&D. And are you comfortable that the system is not designed to somehow encourage employees to cut corners or circumvent controls? That's another area that is critical importance to the board. How are the internal controls in the organization? Are the individuals able to do anything to circumvent a control? Or have you noticed any trends in your hotline where that has been the case? And if so, what have you done or what changes have you made in the company to make sure this doesn't happen again? Which is another metrics I like to hear. I like to hear what is the compliance officer doing or has have they done to change something in the organization? I think that also helps the compliance officer show how important their role is and what they are doing to ensure that the the risks are mitigated or and that things do not reoccur. That's that's so great. Now let me ask a little bit of a different question about building some of the relationships. Board members are generally very busy people. And then you add in, you've got the corporate secretary, a general counsel, sometimes the CEO, basically saying, don't bother them with, don't bother them. And at some points in time, it's also important for us to have our own relationships or independent relationships. Um, When there's resistance to letting the chief ethics and compliance officer build a separate relationship or any relationship with the audit chair or the governance and nominating chair, Avril, how would you recommend that we would proceed in those types of situations? I think your written board reports are your starting point, because if they're written and they're not in the packet, then you have an issue. And when they're written, use them as in a manner in which they can raise questions among thoughtful board members. Right. The way you present the information is going to be important. And also, I go back to targeting committees, because if I'm the risk chair and I see something in there, I need to follow up and I need to reach out to you. But if you haven't written in a way that goes directly to my interest, audit committee is the same way. They're saying, wait a second, I need to get some information behind that. And so then you get pressure from the board to get the general counsel to say, you know what, bring this person and her team 
in front of us at our committee, because I'd like to know more and I'd like to spend more time on it. That's the golden ticket, right? Getting them to spend more time on it. I would expand my discussion when I'm talking to board members about to include human capital, just as Haiti suggested, and perhaps team up with the chief human capital officer to make your way into these meetings. How is your workforce changing? How does that affect the, your provision of ethics and compliance training and monitoring, et cetera? And are compliance policies effectively communicated to employees? You have maybe a natural fit there on some issues that you could work together on. I would also say consider partnering with communications, marketing, and public relations departments because all of their work is affected by the course of ethics and compliance in your organization. It's really maybe going laterally in order to move upward that you have to think about in a broader sense because all of these departments gain maybe if we're all talking together, not siloed. Yeah, One thing, and then I'm going to turn over to you, Haiti, is that also when you're dealing potentially internally with internal stakeholders who are giving resistance, oftentimes I've had conversations that this is actually protecting you. Yes. Here's what I'm going to be talking about. So there's not a surprise. But if any anyone ever asks you down the line, particularly for general counsel, if there's any conversation without you present and you can say yes. That shows a level of trust in the system and also for you. So I, I sometimes try to add, I have yeah, that this one point that is really important to think about that it's actually not just you getting time, you're protecting the interests of your leadership. That's one of the things I think about. What about you, Haiti? What tips do you have? I think that one of the reasons that your management may not want you to engage with board members outside of of the meeting itself may generally just be because they are trying to be respectful of their time. They, when we go into board meetings, our agendas are, are packed. My agenda is packed. There's very little time for a lot of different diversions. And the compliance is an, a very important part of that board meeting. But again, it's very difficult sometimes to get to have an opportunity to speak to a board member one-on-one. But I would recommend that a, a, a chief compliance officer take advantage of opportunities to speak to board members whenever they have them. If you're invited to the board dinner the night before or the night of the board member a board meeting, please take advantage of that and, and talk to them um, just generally about, about the board, about some of the strategies in the company. I think that that's very helpful to also understand that your chief compliance officer does know what the goals of the organization are, what the strategies are, because if you don't know as a compliance officer, then you should get to know them really quick because uh, in order to have an effective compliance program, you have to know where you need to target those very important programs. I would also, if, if possible, contact the, um, the head of the committee that is responsible for, your, for the compliance uh, function and ask them about what they want to hear about during the meeting. You have an agenda, of course. You have pre-read, and you're certainly going to talk about those important items. But as a, a director, what are you thinking? What would you like to hear from me? And when you're in those meetings, listen to the questions they ask, because those questions will start to give you an insight on where their mind is. If they're asking you about something in international, then they're thinking, what are our interests or what are our compliance programs internationally, and maybe then you can focus it a little more. But if you have some of this dialogue before the meeting, you'll be able to have a more targeted 
uh, very robust discussion with the board about those things that interest them and those things that will help them continue to help management as they as they work through the various impacts the organization is feeling from the outside. One of the things I've done is, uh, particularly as new board members come on, I just send a little email that says, I'm the chief compliance officer. I'm available to you at any time. Here is my office number. Here is my personal. And I've had a good response, particularly of the chair of the audit committee or the governance and nominating. And that's developed into meetings before the board meeting and helping to craft the agenda versus I just get an agenda and I have to fit my 10 minutes in before cocktails. Um, Because to your point, Haiti, and also yours, uh, an invested board member is really interested in that and they will help drive that agenda in what interests them, the risks they want to hear about. And they're a great resource for some of these emerging risks. Right. What are they concerned about in the future? How do you execute on strategy? Um, I have found that to be a a really good way to build that relationship. And you'll figure out pretty quickly which board members really take an interest and those that maybe not so much. But at least you've done is you've made the effort and they can contact you when and if they need to. So one of the other things that we see and you two are both prime examples of is people who have that ethics and compliance background getting on boards. And I think it brings a different perspective to the board when you've got somebody with that kind of background. And I'm a big advocate of seeing that kind of diversity in expertise and experience. One of the things we see is sometimes a very traditional and patterned recruitment, right? They want somebody who's been a CEO or been a CFO, and they don't think about ethics and compliance professionals. But Haiti, share some advice about your journey to the boardroom that might help somebody else that wants to get on a board. Thank you. You're absolutely right. They still to this day, when you see some of the requirements for board members on organizations, they I rarely see chief compliance officer and CEO, marketing, financial. Th- those seem to be the continuing and operations heads, the continuing needs. But one of the things that you have to do as a compliance officer is not be a myopic compliance officer. You have to be one that has been experience that has experience across the organization. You have to be able to talk to other business people about business issues, about business strategies. And that's why having a wide ranging experience within your organization is critical to ensuring that when you talk to someone who's looking for a board member, they'll say, oh, okay, they might not have run an entire unit but they certainly understand the challenges that the entire unit has or had. So that's critical. Understanding your financials in the organization is also critical. If you want to become a a member of a board of directors, you have to have financial acumen. You have to uh, understand a P&L. You have to understand what makes, how companies make, a particular company is making their money and what their risks are. I would recommend that you build those relationships outside the organization and inside the organization. Join a not-for-profit board if you can, be it a local school or an organization. Many times the individuals that are on those boards 
are already CEOs, they're running businesses and having and your connections with them and those organizations may be may lead to something in the future. So I would certainly recommend you do that. And again, being a student of the business, understanding business, understanding financials, and certainly getting out there and and networking with people in, in organizations and at not-for-profit boards. Avril, what about advice would you share about the journey and how people should get started? I agree with what Haiti said about the nonprofit boards, but I want to say too that if you're in an organization that separates ethics and compliance functions, because some do, you must work to build your compliance experience. You must work to build your ethic experience if you don't have both. You may need to make a lateral move or change organizations because you want to develop a well-rounded experience. So you want to be thoughtful about, okay, where would I like to be in the future and what do I need to do to get there? Also, check with your ethics office. You may be able to take on outside activities, perhaps the nonprofit board leadership, and you, where you can oversee compliance functions. Pursue certifications and take outside training through conferences and webinars. So if you want to build your business muscles, you need to be in places where you're getting a chance to do that. So you really want to be thoughtful. Not all nonprofit boards are created equal in this exam, in this regard. So you want to pick those that will give you that opportunity to go to be in leadership and to do some things other than maybe it's service provision, but you want to do maybe be on the audit committee if you're in a service providing nonprofit. Just think about that a little bit. If your current role does not line up with your expanding expertise in a new area, you could take leave days. Use your leave to send yourself to conferences and you can network among like-minded peers, people who see the connection, all right? And you can seek mentors and sponsors in your chosen area, your new field. So remember, you're making more relationships. You have good relationships because you're doing a great job where you are, but you expand and meet new people who don't know you through your job, but know your interest in ethics, compliance, business, NAMGA, all of those things. And that can never be bad to know more people. Join organizations that foster your interest in deepening your expertise. This is a commitment of time and your own resources. Now, whether you can write it off as a business expense or training and expertise or job change expense, talk to your accountant. But there may be ways for you to do this and it doesn't hurt so much the pocketbook because you're trying to learn something new. In boardrooms, I find it's very rare that a director is there in expert for expertise in just one thing. And so Haiti was right, talking about the breadth of things you need to be cognizant of and be able to discuss. I'm in the boardroom for many reasons beyond my expertise in ethics and compliance. I can support the CEO and the management team, and I can speak knowledgeably on a variety of topics. I'm a subject matter expert in corporate governance, and I'm a contributor to discussions of enterprise risk management, human capital and the future of work, ESG, economic development, government relations and regulatory matters, as well as emerging technologies. So having the ability to be conversant and to take a deep dive when it's necessary, you show flexibility. No one's an expert in everything, but you need to be able to comment when it comes up in the boardroom. If you only speak up when ethics and compliance 
are brought up, you're limiting yourself and, and you're not likely to get there. Let me just say that you're not as likely to get there. You know, I have a significant nonprofit experience over the last couple of decades, but I've also chaired a sizable nonprofit as well as a government commission. So you see, you can get this experience in different ways. I participate in CEO search and I've been on audit committees. I'm not the financial expert, but I'm the non-financial expert because the audit committee has to explain its decisions to the rest of the board and to shareholders. So I say I'm not the financial expert. And if you cannot explain it to me, you cannot explain it to the rest of the board and the shareholders. So I'm fulfilling a role there where I was not a CFO in my past life, but I'm able to be cognizant and discuss the things that, are, that matter to the rest of the company. I've been on comp committees too. And so you can get the expertise you need. You can build these muscles. And I've been a non-gov chair, understanding all of those pieces and how they fit together. Um, companies that are looking for breadth as well as depth can pull upon you and bring you in. I will say it took some time and commitment for me to pivot from law practice in government to a business focus, but I've enjoyed the opportunities to drive profitability and to develop business strategy. I'm an attorney, but I don't emphasize that in my board work. After all, every organization already has a general counsel. I'm not going to be there to give them that kind of specific legal advice. I'm leaving government service in April of this year, and I have no post-government restrictions. I made strategic choices in deciding, for example, not to accept an additional government appointment so that I would be have flexibility while I worked in the government and after I departed. Stay abreast of your organization's ethics requirements. As you expand your reach, you may need to make similar strategic choices about the opportunities that are offered to you. That's excellent. I have so many takeaways from this discussion. The high, hard ones from Haiti on really focusing on those risks and thinking about it just being a strategic partner. I think sometimes not being myopic, but how do you connect the dots? How do you see that bigger picture and you have the breath that understands that how your risks relate to the execution of your strategy, right? And sometimes we just, as compliance folks, we don't focus on that. We get very narrow on, are we complying with the law? I think about the statement, no money, no mission, and which is kind of very famous in the non-for-profit area. But I think in our current environment, social, political, economic, companies and corporations are required to do more, right? We don't want just a cup of yogurt. We want a cup of yogurt that's environmentally safe, that has a recyclable package, that has uh, gives back to the communities they're in. And, and so I think that the reputation piece really becomes much more important to other stakeholders in ways that it it never has. So it's so much great advice. I can't thank you enough for being part of our podcast today because you've just shared such wonderful wisdom and insights. And thank you again for me as well. Thank you so much for being here on in behalf of the whole podcast and the Great Women in Compliance community. And I hope everyone has a great day and thank you all so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.